0: hello everyone and welcome to enablement amplified i'm your host fiona simpson and i am very excited today for our guest jesse potter he is going to dive into some very interesting topics but jesse before we get into that take a moment just to introduce yourself and let the people know who you are and what you've got going on
1: thanks fiona super excited to be here my name is jesse potter i'm a director of revenue enablement at attentive the leading sms marketing platform And I'm currently heading up both sales enablement as well as our sort of learning design content development team. Prior to that, I actually got my start in sales, you know, was started out selling hardware and retail through Apple and then moved into SaaS eventually. And then most recently spent the last seven plus years at DocuSign where I got to wear basically every different hat within the enablement organization over my time there. And so then just recently moved over to Attentive. I'm currently based in Utah and a uh, active member of the local enablement community and, you know, the Sales Enablement Society, the Enablement Squad, and and every group that I can get, be a part of.
0: Love so it. Thanks. And it must be nice being Paul Butterfield adjacent, huh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Doesn't hurt to have a president <laughs> in your neighborhood, that's for sure.
0: The guru. I love it. Well, Jesse, let's just start with the very beginning. What? What? Are- question have you brought for us today?
1: Yeah, I've been pondering for a while. So the question I want to discuss is, what would it be like if sales enablement or just enablement in general was actually compensated on a commission or variable basis, as opposed to just a flat salary?
0: Oh, I love it. This is actually one of my favorite topics to talk about outside of the enablement world. Something I'm really passionate about is just compensation in general, especially for women, obviously being one. And so having conversations like this, and I think being more creative and thinking around what does compensation actually mean to people and how do we use it effectively to get the results that we want? I think these are all super important topics. So I am super psyched to dive into this with you. I I think maybe a good place to start is maybe you and I can just go back and forth about what are some of the compensation designs let's call them we've seen in the enablement world I certainly have some interesting ones that I've seen out there but I'll let you get started with maybe one or two that you've seen out there and and maybe kind of your key thoughts on how they how they work or don't
1: work yeah absolutely uh, I mean I think you know for for most companies whether it's enablement or any position if it's not a sales or, or customer facing role, If you're going to have any sort of variable compensation it's probably just going to be like a really basic annual bonus tied to company performance right and there's some great benefits to that kind of gives everybody a a stake in the game but we've probably all felt who've been in that role before you don't really feel like you have any control over it and and your individual contribution it's hard to tie back to that bonus right and so it can be sort of weighted and controlled more but at the executive level than an individual so that's that's the most basic one the most common one but i really think like there's an opportunity to better align our our enablement professionals with the teams that they're supporting right and so another one that i've seen and and or at least have heard about is for anybody in enablement role that's tied to a specific team that they're supporting. So if it's sales enablement, maybe they're tied to a specific segment or business unit, right? Or CS, same thing. Like if they're tied to a direct leader that has a quota or has a, a target number, you know, basically tying that to that individual. So for example, we've got somebody on our team who supports, supports our SMB and mid-market leader. And you know, that that VP's quota could be The same number that an enablement rep would be tied to and so there's a lot of alignment and shared prioritization there that could come out by you know having that compensation tied to the results of the training and enablement that you're doing so that's that's one that i have heard about and and would be interested in in discussing more with you getting your thoughts on what that could look like a couple other ones that i've heard of or or could consider would be things like mbo's right so just some sort of measurable outcome that you want to try and incentivize so that could be especially for folks who aren't necessarily tied to a business partner like that like a learning designer or a trainer or something like that you could look at mbo's like just the number of courses delivered the percentage of consumption of training you know hitting certain feedback scores right And, and surveys and things like that again as a way to try and incentivize performance and and you know leaning in and a little bit more skin in the game for for those folks who are building out your content and then another one that i think is really interesting that you've seen less and less but i think could be really interesting to explore is the idea of actually attributing enablement to specific deals so this is a little bit more like if your team gets into sales coaching where if a rep is got a a challenging or complex deal just like they would request support from you know a sales engineer or you know a value analyst or something like that bringing in enablement to help coach that deal and then that would qualify them for some sort of spiff or commission once that deal is closed is another really interesting way to again the whole the whole idea here is like can we as the enablement function be as closely tied to the outcomes that our customers, the sales and CS teams are trying to achieve. So those are a few of the ones I've seen. How about you, have you seen any others?
0: Yeah, I've seen a little bit of everything. It was interesting in, with my last company where I was in sales enablement for three years, I had three different comp plans and one of them actually changed mid year. (laughs) So I technically had four different comp plans. And it was interesting because I think you hit the, the gist of all three of them. Interestingly, The first comp plan that I was on, our bonus was tied to the entire sales team number. So let's just throw a number out there. Let's say that for the year, the sales team number was $20,000 each quarter, or excuse me, $20 million. Sorry, who am I talking about? (laughs) $20 million each quarter we got our bonus paid out on a quarter of that so if they hit let's say the the five million dollars in the first quarter if they hit the hundred percent of the number we got a hundred percent of our bonus if they hit 75 percent of the number we got a half our bonus and there were some numbers in the middle in there that was a little bizarre but we were two people serving the entire sales team and so it if made sense Mm -hmm. and then interestingly the following year one of our investor partners was looking at comp plans and was like why do these two randos have this random comp plan that nobody else has put them on the company bonus tied to performance metrics tough you know what and and just live with it so we spent that entire year arguing against that (laughs) and trying to get something else for ourselves and then my third year there we had specific business partners that we served and similarly our metrics were tied to that team number right that vp or that whomever that we was our business partner and same concept what i thought was really interesting and this is something i would love your take on as well rather than some sort of straight percentage commission like for every $100,000, we get X or whatever it was of that VP's number, it was back to that ratio. So if that VP's team hit 100% of their target, we got, you know, a set number, let's say it was a $5,000 per quarter bonus. If they hit 100%, we got 100% of our bonus. If they hit 50%, we got 50% of our bonus. If they hit 1% of quota, we got 1% of our bonus. So it was interesting. And then to throw another wrench in the mix, partway through that year, we had some very transactional teams that we were supporting. And so the folks on our team that were part of that project, really, it was it was a migration project for a company we had acquired. They just got a dollar amount per deal that closed, period. It was really it was interesting. Fascinating, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty fascinating. But I, I think this theme here, and I think this might be something that we can kind of use maybe to talk through the rest of our ideas is, Ultimately, at the end of the day, compensation should drive behavior, right? Right. And so if we're designing compensation plans that incentivize the performance that we want to see from our team members, and we're ensuring that work that doesn't align to those priorities is somewhere else or is part of somebody who is compensated for that work, that really allows not just our sellers, obviously, who have traditionally always been on variable compensation, but it allows our enablement teams also to focus better and do the work that's not only going to benefit them the most, but also benefit the organization. So I think that idea that compensation should drive behavior is really at the heart of all of this. I'll throw a question right at you. Sort of out of all of these ideas that you've seen, which one do you think is the most effective in terms of motivating the behaviors we want to see from our enablement teams?
1: Yeah, no, I I think it's exactly right that the the prioritization is really what we're trying to achieve here is that we want to make sure that we're working on programming and and initiatives that are going to have the the results and the outcomes that we want, especially in this time where, you know, like we're all kind of struggling to, you know, defend our existence a little bit, unfortunately, and, and, you know, earn our keep it's it's a tough time if you're trying to champion a project that nobody else in the company is is supporting and getting behind, right? So how can we prioritize our efforts to more align to those company outcomes, especially in this time where everything is focused on maximizing what we have available right now, right? Getting the most with the people and the resources and the tools we have. So in my opinion, I, I really like the idea of being tied to the number of a team that you support, of of saying like, hey, SMB mid-market leader, we are coming to you as business partners, and I always teach my team like we we act as a business within the business, right? So our our enablement business partners are like the strategic account manager for you know that VP, and and they're going to do all that needs analysis and understand where the challenges are, and understand what programs and what types of training and and uh, tools would help them to achieve their quotas uh, within that organization, and so I feel like that. If if I'm the IC in that role and I've been told that I've got to help this team achieve their number, not only do I want to get compensated and rewarded for that and be able to take the credit that's due to me for for helping to aid in that effort. But then also, you know, that's going to that's going to really allow me to chart my own uh, path a little bit and say, you know what, I know there's a lot of needs here and there's a lot of things that we could cover because there's endless amounts of work that we could do. Uh, But what are the things that this leader thinks are going to be the most important? And then can we validate that and then uh, organize behind that? So I think the benefits to that are, again, the prioritization, but also the buy-in and the sponsorship that you're going to get from those leaders. And then the trust that they're going to have, that if you've got somebody who's tied to the same number as that VP, you're going to trust that if they propose some training or, hey, we're going to need two or three hours from your team here in this quarter, like they they know that that's not going to be a waste of time because that would impact that person's compensation right so i think that's that's the one that strikes the most to me the the interesting thing though is like not everybody's in those roles right Not but not everybody is going to be a direct business partner or directly aligned to a single organization and so i really i'm super interested and passionate about trying to figure out how we can measure the impact of those other activities like you know learning designers who are building e-learnings or videos or things like that or even just you know more of the operational folks who, who are there to help make sure that programs run smoothly and handle the logistics are there ways that we can kind of tease out the the value and the impact and then reward them in some way may not be an exact commission but more of like i'm looking at like spiffs and you know some sort of bonuses that can be tied to that that again they have personal control over so Something that I'd love to see companies move towards is setting the the targets or, or the roadmap for what you're gonna deliver in a quarter. And then being able to measure that kind of like product management does, right? They're they're gonna set their roadmap, they're gonna have their agile sprints all set up and, and you can measure their performance and their productivity against that. And I think that would be fascinating to be able to do a similar exercise for enablement developers and then tie that to some sort of uh, bonus or or for compensation in some way.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's a whole ton of people in the enablement world that we could go down a rabbit hole with about how to measure those folks that aren't tied directly to a sales team or to a specific business partner. That's like a whole nother episode (laughs) that we could get into. (laughs) One of the things that I picked up on that you said that I think is really important to call out is I I like that model too, right? If you are tied to a business partner, you know, tying your numbers to their numbers, I think makes a lot of sense. And I think one of the reasons it makes sense is because it avoids like the minutia, but it also picks up the the crumbs, if you will, right? (laughs) Because if we think about the work of a sales enablement practitioner at whatever level they are, they're going to be doing big things that make big impacts and, and like throwing the boulder in the pond, right? But there's also gonna be all those little pebbles that drop into the pond. And I think when you tie the overall performance of that team that they're correlated to, to that person's additional compensation, you're getting bold, right? Because if they're doing activities that make a big impact, that should be driving those bigger parts of the team's number or even if they're doing some of those things like coaching specific deals or what have you, right? Those are going to be things that do drive the overall team number, but you're not missing out on okay, well, if you know, if you use the, the deal by deal form, right? Oh, well, I did a bunch of, you know, $25,000 deals and I only got this little tiny chunk versus oh, well, what ultimately happens is I don't want to work on $25,000 deals. I'm only going to go after the, you know, six-figure deals and then Members of my team or the deals that are on the table that are not as incentivizing to me are going to get left to the wayside. And for a lot of organizations, those pots and pans, as people call them, actually make a big impact on the number. So I like the idea of making it a more simplified metric that's a little bit more global because it encompasses so much of the work that that enablement person is doing. And I think there's always some wiggle room. I I personally am not a big math person. So getting into like the the specifics and like, okay, do you do it as like a a specific percentage tied to a larger bonus number? Like I was describing or like how you get there, I think is going to vary on the organization. Do they factor in like cost of sale? Like there's all these other things that I think play into how you get to them. But I think the overall design of is this sales enablement person has a team that they serve or a specific audience and that audience has a number, tie enablement to that number. I think yeah. it makes a lot of sense.
1: I think you're exactly right. And I think that, that that's sort of the risk that you run with going to that deal deal by deal or, or sort of. know like an actual commission basis is you're never going to have enough people on your team (laughs) to like support every deal right right it it will get you know a fight for resources and a fight for attention and they're going to prioritize specific deals but you know you i do love the idea of being able to be brought in tactically to support where there's a need and like you mentioned those are the little pebbles that that would get picked up because that person is motivated for the entire organization to hit their number. And so they can, they can do those sort of like one-to-one coaching opportunities, but not have to pick and choose so much because they're, they're going for a specific number, right? I think the, the other thing too, is you know, that's unless you've got people dedicated to that function, like actual sales coaches, which is, has kind of gone out of fashion. Have you noticed yeah, that? Like, I haven't that thing, like, 10 seen years that ago. in years. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, but like, I, I love the idea of it. I think it's, it's kind of morphed into now, like more technical coaching resources, like, you know, sales engineers or, or like value and, and, you know, competitive analysis there. But I do think there's something to be said for enablement actually coming in and saying like, and I've got a huge presentation in front of a C-level executive. Can you help me prepare? And I love the idea that enablement can help be a part of that and that we would earn so much trust there. And the motivation and the incentive to do that would be on the individual who wants that team to hit their overall number. Right. And the other thing that I love about it is it gives people the opportunity to, to or a reason to work as hard as they can and, and to kind of take more control over their income, right? Whereas in a, in a normal setting or even with that company level bonus, it's like, I'm just going to put in my 40 hours. I'm just going to do what's asked of me and I'm going to get paid the same as everybody else on the team. And you know, like I, for those of us who've come from a sales background as a lot of enablement people do you're used to that level of like, if I want to, if I need to make some more money or I just have a lot of time and energy this quarter, I want to work my butt off and I want to get paid. Right, And like, what what is the incentive to do that right now for somebody who's not able to to impact their compensation in any way other than just showing up every day, right? So it gives you that reason and that motivation to put in that effort and that priority around, around the things you're doing.
0: And I think one of the things that that motivation also ends up driving is tighter alignment between your priorities as an enablement person in your team that you're serving In two ways i think it does that in just the general constructs of what's good for the goose is good for the gander if i'm doing things that are good for my team they're going to make more money so i'm going to make more money but even in a smaller scale i think it brings together the alignment between enablement and that sales leader right and it allows for an opportunity for there to be some collaboration between enablement and those sales leaders to understand what are the sales leaders priorities what are they coaching their team on this quarter what are their interests and what can you as this the enablement person do to support and i think building that layer of trust is equally important and i would argue even maybe more important than building trust with your sellers because I am also a big believer and this is probably going to be yet another episode. I'm a big believer that enablement really needs to sit very high on the ladder. Like the stakeholders need to be the VPs and heads of sales, sales leadership, and I would argue the overall C-suite. Those are That's the schlong that enablement needs to live in. And if you're doing active work day to day, in alignment with those sales leaders, you're already there. So I think this design, and this is why I think this conversation is so fascinating. Mm -hmm. Designing compensation has so much impact on the rest of the business if you do it right.
1: Exactly.
0: And you hit the nail on the head that if you just leave it to the wayside and you just have people on your team that aren't motivated to do anything except the work that's in front of them, you lose out, right, on a lot of that energy and a lot of that momentum that you could be building in people that very clearly, because we're enablers, it's literally on our business cards, we want to help, we want to do more, we want to be involved in processes that bring the whole business forward. But if you don't incentivize that, why would someone do it, right? It's, it's very basic, but at the same time, I think, we're really getting under the skin of what makes enablement people tick, but also how do you take advantage of it and how do you use that to propel the business forward? So I think we're, we're getting so many layers deep in this onion. I absolutely love it.
1: But, and you know, there's one other thing too. I think that it's, there is a a timeliness to this. I think this moment that we're in is the time to be discussing these sorts of things and, and moving, moving on them. Like, And for two reasons, number one is I think, like I said earlier in this time, we're all kind of having to unfortunately defend our, our existence or our value. We're looked at as a cost center, right. And in too many cases. And so this helps us to really prioritize the things that are going to drive that impact in the short term. Also, you know, if you look at kind of the trajectory of enablement and my friend Gail is going to speak on this at the SES conference. We team. love Gail. We love Gail. We love Gail. Uh, but she's talking about this rise and, and you know, a bit of a fall that enablement has had. And that has impacted promotion ability. So enablement people are having a harder time getting promoted right now than, than they they're have. They're
0: having a hard time getting jobs, my dude. Well, they're, hard, <laughs> yeah,
1: they're having a hard time just getting jobs in general. But, you know, even if you've got a job, you're having a harder time getting promoted. And for those people who are coming into new jobs, the average salary is lower than it was a year ago, right? I mean, substantially. And so how do we fill up that gap? We're like, it's going to take a while for the enablement profession to command the salaries that we were even just a year or 18 months ago. So you can, you know, bridge that gap to some degree with, you know, incentives and compensation that is variable so that You know, not everybody is going to hit that, but those who are motivated, those who are those ones that, you know, are pushing for promotion or pushing for just making the the money that they know they deserve and that maybe they would have a year and a half ago. Okay, here's a path for you to go and do that. If, if you're good and if you work hard, you're going to earn it rather than it just being given to you but you know the fact that that's what the market's offering. So
0: right, exactly. I think sales engineering has done that really well in the past, let's mm-hmm. call it 5 years. They figured out their metrics very well and I speak a lot about sales and engineering because that was also part of my job. It's like the most unicorn sales enablement job possible. But, you know, in in the world of sales engineering, the metrics are really clear. I worked on this deal, we paid yep. me Right. Yep. And that wasn't as hard to get to as I think it is for enablement. But you'll see, and there's a bunch of reports that come out around this time of year or like maybe at the end of Q2 just came out that in sales engineering, conversation's is on the rise. Companies are right. seeing how much of an asset it is to have a technical person who really knows their stuff. If we really know our stuff, if we bring the coaching, the methodologies, the objection handling All of those things, if we bring that to bear in our seller's everyday life, then I think we have the legs to stand on to, like you said, fight for those higher salaries. Really quick tidbit, and then I want to ask you another question, but I, I was having a conversation recently and somebody asked me, you know, what is your favorite part of sales enablement of all the different activities that we do as enablers? What is the thing that you get most excited about? And that's what I pointed to. I pointed to the coaching piece because when you know the company, the product, your actual seller, right, your individual seller and how they thrive and what they need, you know the ins and outs of that deal and the buyer personas involved and the timeline and everything else. When you have all those pieces and you can help bring that thing to fruition, it's like a moment in time for an enabler. It's like, ah, I did all the things, I used all my skills and look at the successful outcome that's very easy to see, you know, the pin on the map. And so I think that's one of the things that motivates me is those opportunities. So taking a step back as we're sort of evaluating or thinking about these ideas around compensation and what's possible, what's out there, how did this even come front of mind for you? Like what prompted this question? What prompted this conversation in your mind and brought you to today's conversation?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, it's interesting. It was uh, about a year ago and I was asked this question by a former CRO that I was working with. And I was actually expressing to him my concern about the level of impact that my team was driving and seeing the economic turn that we were taking and and just lo- looking down the road and saying, I, I have a concern. We have a large team. We're doing great work, but... I can't come to you and say exactly what that resulted in for you. And that makes me nervous as we start thinking about cuts and layoffs and all of these things. And he actually, you know, posed this question to me and said, look, even in a downturn, I have no problem paying huge commissions to my top performers. Right. In in whatever the economy looks like. If I can look at a, at a sales rep that brought in, you know, multi-million dollar deals, he'll pay them whatever whatever they, they need to, to stay happy, right? So he challenged me and, and turned it to me and said, look, make it easy for me to keep you all around by only working on the things that I can tie an outcome to and then showing me the impact of what you've done. And so that kind of started this whole evaluation of like, how are we determining before we even take on a project what our success metrics are going to be and then report out to that at the end which is another way you know that we could look at you know for those larger initiatives especially the big boulders that you talked about dropping (laughs) in the rolling out a methodology rebooting an onboarding program implementing a new you know enablement platform or something like that planning sko (laughs) Planning sko right Right, where's the revenue
0: driven from that
1: yeah but like if you if you have those big milestone projects that multiple people are going to be working on set your success metrics at the beginning and we've adopted you know the kirkpatrick model so we've got four levels of measurement we're going to be doing for every project and we set those at the outset before we start really doing the you know that's in the A phase of Addy, right? Is we're setting those success <laughs> criteria, and then we get to the end, and we can actually say like these are these are the criteria we we decided on at the beginning. This is where we're at now, and so was this project a success or not? That's at the base level. That's a recommendation I would make to any team, any enablement body, like start implementing that regular process, if for no other reason than that self-defense mechanism of like, if somebody asks you, what have you done for me lately? Here totally. you can them. But it could also be a, a foundational point for compensation if you had the buy-in to say, okay, great. If SKO goes well this quarter, you're all gonna get a bonus if you hit the success criteria that you listed in the Kirkpatrick model, you know?
0: I-, I love that. And I think just a thought for individuals that to just even double down on that a little bit further, one of the things that I've done throughout my career is I keep a running list. You said, right, the question comes, what have you done for me lately? That performance review comes right. You're up for a promotion. What are those tangible things, the boulders and the pebbles that you have on your list that you can say, I redesigned our RFP response uh, process this fall. I deeply coached these 10 opportunities. I did this, 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 and this. And you can, in a lot of those contexts, tie real hard revenue numbers to a lot of those things. And when you, as an individual contributor especially, start thinking that way and start keeping a record of those things for yourself, I think it does two things. I think number one, for yourself, it just reminds you like, hey, I'm actually good at my job. And when those, you know, imposter syndrome feelings start creeping up, you have something to look at and remind yourself of your value to the team. So I think that's a huge piece of it. But then the other side of the coin is when it comes to asking for a raise or helping your boss prove to their boss to keep you or whatever the situation might be, you have those milestones that you can speak to and it helps drive that framework for the team as a whole. So. I know we're kind of talking at a high level about like the team and sort of how do we stay front of mind and how do we work together for some of these metrics, but I think it's important to also keep track of them at the individual level. And frankly, nobody's going to do it but yourself. So I I can't encourage people enough to start keeping those sort of milestone records. Again, the boulders and the pebbles, the big stuff and the small stuff, because the small stuff adds up too
1: and and the results of those right because too often it's a binary we did this thing it's like right great what what about it you know tell me tell me more what did it what did that actually result in and and you're absolutely right like individuals should be doing that for their own motivation because if you're not in a you know organization that is leading the trend of like compensating accordingly you're going to need that personal motivation. I tell this all the time to people who I bring over into enablement roles from sales is like, look, there's no scoreboard anymore, right? Like right. back when a seller, there was a clear scoreboard that you could you could, you know, be at the top of or at least to, you know, see Hopefully where you Hopefully at sit. the top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But at least you can see where you sit. You can see if you're if you're doing well and that that imposter syndrome starts to creep in for anybody who comes into an enablement job their first time, within a couple of months they're going to think what am I doing? Like, this has been a huge mistake. I don't know if anything I'm doing is having an impact. So you, you've you got to keep track of that for yourself. And hopefully you've got a team that can support that and will also help you to, you know, champion those things and, and raise up that visibility. But there's there's never enough time or opportunity to recognize everybody and like shout outs and, and you know, acknowledgements in Slack or in all hands, which again, Kind of ties back to why the compensation piece could be very valuable, because that's that's really the only way that we can (laughs) reward people today is like, you know, I know those
0: dollars are in my bank account is that good enough for me yeah
1: but you know you can't give everybody the shout out during the all hands you can't give everybody the recognition because it just becomes meaningless then but compensation it's never meaningless it
0: never hurts it never is meaningless you're absolutely right as a quick note about shoutouts and all hands for a very long time my team was a team of two me and my boss and so we never did shout-outs for our team because it would just be pointless And then at one point we grew our team to like eight people. And I kept telling my boss, I was like, hey, we need to start doing shout outs because every other team in the entire department gets a shout out in our all hands every month. And we're not doing it. And it looks really silly. And he still still didn't do it. That's okay. Okay, I've got a high level philosophical question for you. And then I do think we can get into a couple of like the tactics and the tools. So high level philosophical question. What would happen if we did compensate enablers on a commission or variable comp structure, what would be the perfect enablement universe? I was just watching the Lego movie and that part where they go into the dreamland thing with like the crazy unicorn and everything's a little nuts. I feel like that's my enablement perfect picture. It's nuts, but it makes a lot of sense and it's really fun. But what would your perfect enablement world look like if we did this, if this became the next evolution and compensation for sales enablement?
1: man it's such a great question i think there's a lot of downstream impacts that i think would happen that you wouldn't even imagine i think some of the obvious ones is you'd have a much easier time retaining top talent and and promoting or promoting in terms of like their level but like promoting the field of enablement is something that's aspirational it it would be something that you can serve in an enablement role for many years do very well for yourself and be very satisfied with where you're at i think you know rightfully so so many of us in enablement are all like oh we're gonna come in we're gonna you know, do a great job for a few quarters or a couple of years, and then we're going to get promoted, we're going to become a leader, we become a VP, you know, like everybody is, is on that track, which is great. And I don't ever want to keep people back or hold them back from wanting to grow in that way. But a lot of people would be very happy being an IC for most of their lives if they could make enough to warrant it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think you would see a lot of that where you'd have talent actually just honing their craft and becoming the best possible Trainers, developers, coaches, you know, project managers, whatever, uh, the best possible version of that that they can be. And I think you'd get a lot more creativity as well. Because the other thing too is over time, they're going to find that whatever they're trying will eventually stop having as much of an impact, right? Like we see this all the time in enablement. You start you start doing something like a monthly lunch and learn. Great. That that worked great for the first 18 months. Now we don't get anybody to show up to it. So we have to get we have to try new ideas, and you're going to be a lot more motivated to be that creative and to try those new things if, you know, your compensation starts lagging, right? So those are a couple of things that I trust would happen in this sort of world is that you would have that talent retention, those people really wanted to hone their craft and get creative. But ultimately too, I I truly believe that you would get better revenue outcomes for your business and you would be able to track from the date we instituted this to two years later, our revenue growth or our retention rates or whatever metrics you're gonna look at are going to be markedly improved and, and you would actually be able to measure that in actual dollars and cents that uh, you could report back to the board to the cro to whoever is making those decisions um that would be a really interesting moment because then sales enablement is no longer this cost center that gets lumped in under marketing or hr or something like that they like sales engineers would become a core part of a successful go-to-market engine reporting up at the right level like you talked about at the vp CRO C level and you may even have you know, leadership. Chief Enablement
0: Officers. Exactly. I'm yes. saying yes. it, I'm putting it into the universe. We will have Absolutely. Chief Enablement Officers if we don't already have them in some places. Um, yeah. you, you can see this, obviously. I'm like nodding my head affirmatively so much. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, even things like win rates. We instituted this stronger driving force, this bigger motivation for our enablement team on you know January 1st of 2024, and our win rates this year increased. Mm-hmm. Come on, who doesn't want that, right? <laughs> You're yeah. I not. Think, I think you absolutely nailed it, though, that we have to get away from enablement being a cost center. And I think the only way you do that in an organization is by showing me the money. You have to put the dollars and cents on it. There's been so much good work done in our world around metrics and how to measure things and what to measure and why to measure it and what it should look like in this organization versus that. And part of why we're having this conversation is because now that we have some of those tactical pieces in place, we can take the conversation to the next level and think about how we utilize those metrics and all of those tactical pieces to better the entire field. But speaking of tactics and speaking of some of the tools and the more practical things that we need to get there in terms of transitioning enablement compensation to a variable model, what are some of the tools that we need to have in place is, is my question for you, Jesse.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. A lot of progress has been made here. It's where we can actually talk in reality about these sort of things. And like, it's probably not going to be as scientific and exact as we would want it to be right now. Like you said, like we may not go deal by deal, but I do believe now with these enablement platforms that are out there, your, your high spots, your seismics, your whatevers, all of them are trying to do a better job of correlating data about training and enablement activity to revenue outcomes. Right. So we're getting very close to that. I do believe though that, you know, with that or without it, This is just my prediction. I believe that every enablement team is going to need a dedicated data and analytics resource, either internal to their team that they hire for and reports up through enablement, which I'm a big fan of. And I think that's going to be a growing role within enablement teams over the next couple of years. Or if you can get that dedicated resource from your ops, I'm fine with that too, but it has to be dedicated. It has to be fully focused on Measuring the impact of outcomes of training, but also looking at, you know, the impact of marketing content, the adoption of processes and tools, right? That it's a multifunctional role, but I think you need somebody on that team who can help you tell that story and just be the one responsible for tracking, you know, attainment here, right?
0: Yeah. And if, if we think about the idea that so many people have congregated around, which is that enablement is a business within a business or a consultancy for the sales team or however you want to frame that. Every good business needs a business analyst. And if you had a dedicated resource to do that analysis in the data and analytics side, but also in the process and what a real business analyst does, that would be amazing. I would love that. And that person even proves their worth, too, right? They can show an impact on the pieces of the business that they touch. They can say, okay, we've done X amount in additional revenue win rates, whatever it might be, to prove that we need somebody with their fingers in the pie to figure these things. I love that.
1: What else? I, I mean, I think ultimately the other thing that comes down comes down to it is you got to have the leadership who can support and get behind this kind of concept and recognize that it is going to be, you know, like they're used to creating comp plans and and, you know, measurement for sales reps and they've gotten used to compensating sales engineers. And regardless of what company you're at, it's just going to take a lot of work and planning and evaluation and and budgeting and everything to get this carved out for what could be a team of two or even up to a team of 50. It's still a pretty small group in the grand scheme of things compared to your overall sales team. So you've got to have that willingness to do that work and to take on that extra effort that they may not see the, the need for. So. That's where I think we probably need some of these analysts, Forrester or some of these other outside parties to do some research on this and actually come up with the case to help convince the the executive team. Because otherwise I think if it it just comes from enablement, it's gonna come off a little bit like we're just asking for more money, we're unhappy with something, but it's really not about that. It's really about how much more we want to do and how much we want to get out of our teams. So, yeah, I I think some sort of research analysis, you know, Peter Ostro, if you're out there, you know. (laughs) Come on, Peter,
0: give us some numbers. Yeah, give us us some numbers,
1: do some (laughs) research here and then come to my CRO and tell him why he should pay us more.
0: (laughs) Well, and I think that goes right back to what we talked about earlier on that having that high level of trust and relationship with sales leadership is critical to everything that we do in enablement. Well, Jesse, this has been a fascinating conversation. I hope that everyone is starting to let their gears turn a little bit more about what could be for the way that we're compensated here in the world of enablement. One thing that I love to do at the end of the show, because it is enablement amplified, I want to amplify you for a minute and then I want you to amplify somebody else. So tell us how we as your audience can help you. Jesse, and then throw someone else out there that we can also amplify and, and help them do what they're doing out there in the world of enablement.
1: I love that. Thank you, Fiona. I, I'm i really just a big fan and so passionate about our community. The enablement community, to me, is one of the most special networks and and organizations I've ever been a part of because it's such an early stage profession that we're all kind of figuring it out as we go, and we're all so willing to help each other and and share what's working and what's not, be creative and and come up with all these what-if questions that we then solve for. And for me, one of those main communities has been the Enablement Squad, which if you're not familiar, is a free network that you can join. It's a Slack community so that you have real-time access to peers and people across the industry in lots of different fields and, and companies who can share their experiences and ask questions and things like that and at the enablement squad we're really working to build the next generation of professional networks right back in the day it was all about getting big lunches together and and going golfing and and hosting those sorts of events we really see this as a more modern network that is a source for thought leadership for the enablement profession a way for people to grow their skills because there's not there's you know there's not universities out there teaching this stuff we all have to figure it out for ourselves and so if you haven't yet, please join the Enablement Squad. It's free. You can go to the That's how
0: we found each other, Jesse. <laughs>
1: that's exactly right. Yeah. And, and as so many of my, you know, true friends now, not just like colleagues or acquaintances, but true friendships and, and community have grown out of that. And that's true of so many other things. It'll be a little bit late, but the SES experience is coming up. And if you didn't make it this year man, make sure you make it next year. It's one of the best conferences I've ever been to, again, because it is uh, peer-to-peer. It's practitioner to practitioner. It's not vendor-led, it doesn't have an agenda other than just helping and growing and developing. And that's my passion, so I hope that uh, you all take advantage of those resources. In terms of amplifying somebody else, I think that the field of CS enablement is finally getting its rightful recognition alongside sales. And I'm doing my couple, happy
0: dance in the background as Jesse's saying this. I 100% yes. agree.
1: Yes, so many companies right now uh, are publicly on their earnings calls saying, we're shifting from like the land grab, getting as many new logos as possible, to focusing now on retention and expansion within your customer base, right? So CS teams are more important than ever, CS enablement is more important than ever. Two of the best CS enablement leaders that I've ever had the pleasure to work with. One of them is Patrick Quintavalle, who I get to work with right now at Attentive, and is amazing. The other is Jordan Nutt, who I got the pleasure to work with at DocuSign. And both of them lead teams that focus entirely on CS enablement, the skills, the content, the tools they need to be successful. And I think that that is gonna be a big theme over the next couple of years as well.
0: I love it, I love it. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a fascinating conversation, one that I hope continues throughout our field for a long time, because I think it's critical to not only the work that we do and what motivates us to do it, but also to the success of the teams that we support. So I just want to say thank you once again for joining me today. And for everyone else out there listening, thank you for listening. Remember that you can always share the Enablement Amplified podcast through our website, enablementamplified.com. We're also on all of the major podcast platforms. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Fiona Simpson. Until next time, everyone, take care.